Arr, it's me, Pirate Bill. A high pirate <laughs> bill? I heard there's an anchor age in this episode. Ugh. You don't like that one? What do you got? Ugh. What have you got? <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> Tell me what you got. Uh, let's just get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sadie Hawkins Pod. Hello. Welcome back to this three-hour episode on a 20-second song. We're going to show people. (laughs) People are like, oh, my gosh. Crayons can melt on us for all I care, 10-second song. And you do a two-hour episode. Well, this is a 20-second song, so we're going to do a four-hour episode. I'm sure you're already looking at the runtime of this podcast, and you know we did it. We accomplished it. Yeah, because this week we're talking about Anchorage. We don't have a lot of top... Do we have any top of the show business? There's no voicemails. I don't think we do, actually. I think we can just jump right into it. Yeah, well, this week... I guess we'll just get right into it. This week we have an hour-long conversation. We've already recorded it. We did them out of order, and that becomes a big problem when you hear the second (laughs) half where I'm constantly thrown because we recorded the conversation with our guests first. Uh, David and Justin from Jimmy Eat Pod. David's been on the podcast before. David actually was on the Crayons Can Melt On Us for All I Care episode because he recorded the cover that end, of Crayons that ends every one of our episodes. The That's punk right. version and the slightly more traditional version that we switch back and forth that lets you know that the Sadie Hawkins pod train has left the station at the end of every episode. <laughs> so David was on that since he recorded our cover. And which is our outro song, and now David and Justin together, since they are the preeminent Jimmy Eat World podcast, are going to be on this episode. Because whenever I heard Anchorage, this this interstitial track in between Staples and Seventeen magazine, I always had the sense that it was essentially a Midwest twinkly emo, like a tribute to the style of second generation emo. And I think that is actually what it is as we get into the song. But because of that, I was like, well, who else do we have but the podcast that does what we do? Basically, our sibling podcast in a lot of ways, Jimmy Eat Pod. And they talk about the band that I think like personifies emo and this style to the wider world. And we're going to talk about emo overall. But this particular style of twinkly emo... I think Jimmy Eat World personifies that into the largest, most mainstream sense. And I was like, it just makes sense to have them on here. And because this is a really short, instrumental, 20-second song, uh, we have more to talk about. We're basically going to talk about Reliant K's part or their undeserved part of being labeled as an emo band. Isn't that right, Jessica? Oh boy, is it ever. (laughs) I was actually happy that we did the interview section first because you kind of worked through some of your emo aggression there. (laughs) So we don't have to talk about it for like two hours over here, which makes me really happy. When you say the words emo aggression, that's just redundant. (laughs) That's like ATM machine, automatic teller machine machine. When you say emo aggression, you're just saying the same word twice. I uh, I always just thought that this was just a pretty little interlude. I never really thought about what style or anything it was. So, I mean, it is floaty. 
it's it's floaty, it's twinkly, it is kind of similar. On this album, it's more similar stylistically to Benediction and Balloon Ride than maybe anything else on here. April. <laughs> you, every week now, she doesn't like that we podcast at night. And she's like, why are you still up? It's time to go snuggle in bed. I'm going to whine for a big treat. But I already gave you a big treat earlier because you were whining about something else. So you can't have two... Look, she's looking up at the treat. Yeah, she's she like, knows. He's sitting at the table. He's going to give me a me. big treat yeah. so I'll be quiet. Yeah. You used to you used to lift your weight around this podcast. You used to be on the ones and twos, <laughs> checking the levels. What well, have D- we got? Dan, before I get into before we uh, before we get too much into it, what what's your experience with Alaska? Have you been to Alaska? <laughs> because Anchorage is in Alaska. That's true. Um, before we get to that, let's just talk about what this song is of Reliant K, and okay. then talk about the title. So this is the interstitial track, in between, like I said already, it's the interstitial 20-second instrumental track that takes you from Staples into Seventeen Magazine. And we talked about this on the show leading up, but the reason why we we would have done this track with Staples, because we were both under the false impression that this is an outro to Staples. It turns out, if you saw... The footage from Soul Fest to year in from the year 2000 that we released on our YouTube video to one full set of Reliant K from the year 2000 and a partial set from the same festival. They play Anchorage. Spoiler warning, we'll have a little live version of Anchorage. And they introduce it as the intro to Seventeen Magazine. And then we're going to talk about that again with our guests. And it's so obviously the intro to Seventeen Magazine now because there's no break in between the tracks. There is a break between Staples and Anchorage. So we kind of like, but we did Seventeen Magazine so long ago in the podcast that we were like, well, we're running out of songs to do anyway. Let's just have a whole episode about this interstitial track where normally we would bundle it together with with the song it belongs with. And then we can do Staples on its own. So that's what we're dealing with. Now, it's an instrumental. I think it's just sort of supposed to be Midwest emo, just a little light, little thing. I think the purpose that it serves on the record is that Staples is one of the most stark lyrical songs on the self-titled album. It's about a car crash that their friend had in real life and how he could have died. And that's, you know, Reliant K will go on to sing about much more stark material much more like grounded and potentially upsetting material like um sahara i think we said is is, is probably one of the most what's the word destitute more gruesome i gruesome, guess gruesome yeah just uh, vi- just like visually right. the sort of the images that it and lots of other breakup songs and stuff like that in in the history and sad songs will come about in the history of line k but on their first album where everything is pretty you know, if it's not penitent and heavily Christian, it's at least fun and happy. So Staples, toughest song on the album. It needs a little palate cleanser before you get into the teen love song of Seventeen magazine. So I think that's the purpose it serves on the album. And it's just a little instrumental. Now, they had to come up with a title. So this is what you're about to get into. They had to come up with a title. I don't know if you found any information about why they called it Anchorage. Nope. Maybe they just called it Anchorage because it sounded like a very first or second generation emo word. Gotcha. Honestly, like when you think of... You don't think they were playing Anchorage? 
Maybe they were playing anchor the in, in maybe they were playing in Anchorage when they came up with There's the melody. No, way. no. no. <laughs> no not for the uh, the self-titled. <laughs> so, we're going to get more into the emo talk in a little bit, but uh since this is the style of a first or second generation emo band before well before emo got kind of twisted into the mainstream concept of what it was. Mm, I think it's sick and twisted. <laughs> I just think a simple, artsy sort of like word is a very emo-y thing. Like a lot of the, the generation of bands that we're talking about that they're kind of doing a takeoff on here are like Texas is the Reason, Cap and Jazz. Like these are the names of like second and first and second generation emo gotcha. bands. And they're just kind of like, and they're just kind of like simple words that sound like they have a lot of meaning, but may or may not actually have a lot of meaning. So I feel like Anchorage just sounds like a very dramatic, simple, almost kind of artsy word. And that's really what early emo gets down to for me, is it's basically artsy punk. So I think Anchorage just sounded like a second-generation emo word. Gotcha. And I think that's why they picked it. But you asked, have I ever been to Anchorage? No, I haven't. I've never been to Alaska. Have you been to Alaska? I have, and I've been to Anchorage. Uh, when I was in my first but year. But have you been to Boston in the fall? I have. Oh, yeah, you have. <laughs> so tell us about Anchorage. <laughs> uh, so when I was in my first year of high school, we, my school did the the Jason Project or the Jason Expedition. Oh, which was... <laughs> Jason X. That's the scariest one. Um, which was like... Some sort of integrated learning thing that you could do, I don't know, throughout wherever trying to incorporate like the internet and going other places into your education as one does when they go to a small Montessori type school. So for my first year, the this project was studying Alaska. So like we studied Alaska and stuff throughout the year and then uh, at the end of the school year, you could went have done on that a school from your trip. Desks back in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did, and then we went on the school trip at the end of it, and we flew into Anchorage, and we stayed in a place called Moose Pass because the science, our science teacher, he actually had like his, one of his brothers lived there, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. There's like nothing there. Beautiful country though, lots of beautiful glaciers. We did all sorts of really fun stuff on that trip but yeah it's very pretty i would like to go back but do it on a cruise because i feel like that is the way to do alaska <laughs> now that you may be now that i'm thinking about it i'm like let me check setlist fm has reliant k ever played anchorage alaska and at least when i google setlist fm reliant k anchorage alaska nothing comes up what like about juno or fairbanks is that the other big city um, how about I just type in set list. Reliant K Alaska? FM, Reliant K. I should have K. looked that up, actually, as part of my deep dive, instead of just searching for Anchorage. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said you should. I don't know. I didn't say any such thing. Maybe the panic with the kid. No, it says it didn't. It must include Alaska. Ala- There's a band called Alaska. But is there a band called Baked Alaska? Oh, I bet you there is. Do you think they serve baked Alaska on the Alaska cruises every night? (laughs) I feel like they have to, right? (laughs) I had never heard of baked Alaska. I'm just, 
buying time right now. I'm vamping <laughs> while I'm looking through Setlist FM. I had never heard of Baked Alaska until we were on our honeymoon and we went on a cruise. And I was like, "What's all this hullabaloo? Why is the <laughs> why is the kitchen crew doing a conga line and holding a cake?" And and Jessica's like, "We're doing the Baked Alaska," and I'm like. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Jessica had been on cruises before. I had never even heard of the food baked Alaska. Maybe I'd heard it in a movie, but it it didn't ring in my mind in any special way. I don't know of a time when I've ever seen baked Alaska not on a cruise ship. I I feel like maybe it's just like an old timey kind of thing. Oh, no. Although there are those... um, I found a commercial recently for the the Betty Crocker. Oh, man, what was it called? Like bacon dip or something like that. I don't remember <laughs> what it was called now. But they're like, you can make baked Alaska. And I'm like, why? Yes, he was just making baked Alaska in their home. <laughs> this isn't the 50s. <laughs> well, I honestly can't find any information that Reliant K has played in Alaska. Not well, to add it to the question list. Have you, have you ever, ever played, played in Alaska? Alaska? <laughs> now, I'm sure if I did some deep diving, like if I looked through the archived versions of the trademark fan website, maybe I could find some information about them playing Alaska. But there's nothing on YouTube. And Sadlist FM doesn't have like a special breakout by state. So just Googling Alaska Reliant K didn't immediately bring anything to the top results. And going through Reliant K's Setlist FM statistics also didn't bring anything to the front. So can't tell that they've ever played Alaska, which would be surprising. But I guess that might be the case. Now, I think they just, like I said, I think they just picked this title because it sounded like an early style emo word. Like, I feel like there would be an early emo band called Anchorage. Like, I actually wonder mm-hmm. if he... Matt Teeson never toyed with the idea of doing an actual emo band, unlike how Reliant K gets labeled as emo in this sort of modern sense of it. If he ever had the idea of doing an actual emo band and would have called it Anchorage because it just sounded like sort of a cold emotion. That is the thing about early emo is like a lot of it is like very emotional, but it's also like it's kind of like emotionless in some ways. It's kind of like like very like cold the music like musically the music's very cold so i guess we'll just get into it talking about relying k and are they emo or not and how they got labeled as emo because i don't know do you have anything else to say about the song and how pretty it is and how not it leads really. into 17 magazine yeah so no i might not have specifically searched relying k alaska but i did per your request Search Reliant K Emo. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, the results that I got, because whether you like it or not, Danny, universally, the internet classifies Be My Escape as emo in the mid-2000s right. definition of emo way. The Be My Escape genius page came up. Uh, so yeah, like it or not, babe, that's the uh, the greater understanding of the term emo. Right. So we'll talk about this more with Jimmy Eat Pod with David and Justin, but let me just kind of get into my early understanding of emo, right? Emo is well, I mean actually what's really surprising when you when we when we move on to the conversation later is I had a giant we had a giant revelation about the concept of emo music and we'll save I'll try, I'll try my best not to spoil that. But basically emo from I think it it started as an underground scene. It started at an underground scene at the underground show. I know he Jessica wanted me, to. Dri- he saw me. Jessica wanted to quote the supertones like, nope, lyrics. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> the concept of emo started as 
a subgenre within a subgenre within a subgenre. It started as a very underground movement within hardcore punk music to the point that as the idea of emo started to bubble to the surface of the mainstream, I think basically anyone who would catch on to the concept of emo, they all caught on to it in different ways, or they all heard the whisper of the word emo on the winds, and no one ever heard about it in the same way, so that by the time the concept of emo hit the mainstream culture, it was so scattershot in what its original core or idea was that it was completely lost and it just became this overall catch-all word that really has lost all its specific meaning because nowadays just like flat out regular pop punk music that happens to have emotion which by the way all music has emotion every single song has emotion so it's like how can And I've tweeted this already before, but it's like in a world where everything's emo, nothing's emo. And it's true because like you're just slightly grandiose or you're slightly emotional or you're sad. And somehow that's you're being so emo. And it's because it was a very specific idea that started in a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre of punk. And by the time it got to the mainstream, it completely lost its original identity and no one really knew what it was the same thing has happened with ska music in the past i think for the most part everyone basically knows ska when they hear it now it's like the uh, supreme court definition of porn like i'm not sure what ska is but i know when i hear it and i know when i hear something that's not ska music but there was a point where especially when ska got big in the 90s where no one really understood that it's the it's that upstroke it's that the ska part is the rhythm That's the ska. Like, if you're a punk band with horns, yeah, you can be labeled as ska punk, but you're really just a punk band that has a horn section. Like, the band uh, Rocket from the Crypt is a rock band with horns, but they owe the, the rock band with horns aspect more to sort of, like, jazz and burlesque and those kind of things. They're not a ska band, right? But, like, people would hear maybe, like, ska music and they think oh it's like a summery beach music so all summery beach music is ska music so like islands in the sun by weezer that's a ska song right and you're like no that's not a ska song it doesn't have the actual ska rhythm like okay well sugar ray that's a ska band right and you're like no you're you're like completely missing the thing ska had a very specific thing and as it got popular, people were losing their sense of it. April is just going crazy walking around tonight. Because <laughs> you gave her, we have these like dental rawhides. I can't remember what they're called now, but she's got these dental rawhide bones. Enzymatic CET. oral hygiene shoes. April, I gave you one because I think of the bag she thought she was getting a <laughs> second one. She dropped it and came back over. <laughs> So for a while there, she had hit it behind my chair and then went off and laid down. And then she got up and was like, wait, what did I do with that? And oh, yeah. Looking when April gets something again. she's really excited to have, she she has an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. Like this little dog know what to do gets guilty and she doesn't know what to do with herself. Anyway, you got the sense of what I'm talking about with ska music. People didn't really get what ska music was. Ska fans kind of had to fight against the tide and be like, no, that's not ska music. This is what ska music is. And lots of people still don't get it, but... Ska music is safe within its own confines. Emo was almost immediately lost in the zeitgeist. It started out as this very specific specific kind of like artsy version of hardcore punk. 
basically you start with the bones of hardcore punk and you start to add more artistic, melodic, like angular, artsy guitar work on top of that. And that becomes emo music. And then in my personal opinion, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Eat World takes that particular form of early emo and solidifies it into a version of that music that is perfect for mainstream rock. So Jimmy Eat World personifies to me the early sense of emo into the most mainstream version of it. But then emo, the idea of it hits hits MySpace, it hits MTV, and it basically just becomes this thing for like more punk goth and then it totally gets lost when you start labeling like paramore and reliant k and even blink 182 as actual emo bands because they're or my i can almost get the sense of like my chemical romance like okay they're the late emo band like they embraced to some extent the emo label but a band like reliant k never like embraced the emo label like they pushed against the punk label when they first started out with brian and dave in the band and then to like start to call be my escape an emo song when it's just a pop rock pop punk song about wanting god to always be with you like how is that an emo song because <laughs> it sounds like a sad boy song but it doesn't even sound that sad no. <laughs> and that's the other thing is like sadness is a basic human emotion i mean it's one of the five yeah, core emotions out there it's one of the five core emotions in the movie inside out like it's a core emotion like sadness is built into all art <laughs> sadness is built into the basic human experience so why did this one particular thing of like teenagers are emotional and sad and hormonal and they don't know how to deal with their emotions and suddenly you label it with this scarlet e of like ew gross you're emo it's like no well that that sense of being outcast that sense of not being a part of something or trying to find your way in life that's a human experience and like this whole emo scene idea, oh, you're like make, making fun of kids who cut themselves and stuff. Making fun of kids who cut themselves. It's not funny. It's not Gla- cool. Glamorizing it. And, yeah. And I understand to some extent how you can say like the cutting culture became a culture in and of itself. And people like openly embraced and talked about themselves cutting and like glamorized it for themselves. But it's like, but that stems from something. That stems from a. a a difficult human experience and then when you go mocking those kids in that scene for that i don't understand why like are they seeking attention yeah yeah they're seeking attention because something's really fucked up in their life and they find some escape through music and through art and and you might see it as like really self-serving or silly but it's based on something and so like and that's and that and then to use the word emo as a weapon against a certain section of like disenfranchised hurt scared generation of kids it's like it's like why why use that and it's getting so much even further away from what emo started as as this it's it's like when i think of early emo i don't think of neon and black color combinations with jelly bracelets and hot topic and slicked hair i don't think of that when i think of early emo i think of like neat uh, like neat and tidy sweaters guys with like guitars kind of up to here and playing in very uh proficient 
very technical styles of punk with a sweater and horn, maybe horn rim glasses and like dressed very smart because they're playing such particular mathematical, like early emo music kind of, it, math rock's another genre, but the technicality of some early emo is like so proficient that it's like, you know, I just think of just dressed smartly. So it's like so far away from the core concepts of what emo was sort of started out as. And ultimately, I don't think that there is any such thing as emo. <laughs> and that's what we're going to get into with our guests. Very good. Yeah, very well <laughs> said. Uh, it just goes to show that, yes, indeed, the early 2000s truly were a, an awful time and a cultural <laughs> void and everyone was just awful. Uh, it's funny because Reliant K has a tweet. So there was an alt press article from February 26, 2016 called 14 Emo Songs Any Pop Punk Fan Will Like. And Reliant K responded with, to that with, we are so emo, apparently. Hashtag thanks at Alt Press. So there's them being like, we're not emo, sort of being like, um, okay. And, <laughs> like leaving, and, uh... it, leaving it open to fans who might... Because oh, ultimately what I think emo comes down to in 2022 is it's a state of mind. If you want to be emo, sure, you're emo. Just like if you want to be punk, but you're not really like outwardly punk, you're punk. If you want to be whatever, you're whatever. In 2022, whatever you say you are, you get to be. So if you want to be emo, and then you collect your group of bands that you think of as the most emo, then that's great. But if if the band themselves say, well, we don't see ourselves as emo, then they aren't emo. <laughs> but you can see them as emo. These things are allowed to conflict. But I don't get, like, when you're... You, you, I don't think you should go labeling a band emo when you think it's a detriment to them. Like, you see Reliant K and you hate Reliant K and you right. think they're too emotional. And you go, ew, they're emo. Like, no, emo is, like... At the, at the very least now, I think emo is a state of mind. It's an identity that you can co-opt if you want to. But it's a positive thing if you want it. Yeah. So, are you... Let me just play through some of this stuff. Because it's one thing to talk about it. And if no one's actually gone and listened to these things, I want to play a little bit of what I'm talking about. So here's some of the music that I think... Oh, I found a playlist. I found some random person's playlist on Spotify called Twinkle Daddies. Twinkly Emo and Scrams. <laughs> so I don't know when... <laughs> I don't know when this happened. But at some point from, like, my generation, you know, being, like, an exennial, like, since I'm, like, an exennial, and I kind of remember the early-ish emo, and then I, I remember watching emo music, or the word emo start to morph into just dramatic pop punk. It, it went from artistic hardcore to dramatic pop punk, and I'm like, how did this shift happen? Well, now, like, some people of my generation ironically call early emo twinkle daddy emo <laughs> and i i think it's ironic i don't know exactly where that started i've referenced it before i think it's an ironic way to refer to early emo this is american football and this is probably one of the most popular bands of that first and second generation of emo music and this kind of personifies to a lot of people the sound of emo. I'm pretty sure it's David in our second section of this episode who brings up American football. This band had like one album and then they immediately broke up. But that first album remained really influential on that generation of early emo. So they actually got back together because of the rise of Hello. fake mainstream emo that trickled down, that twinkled down <laughs> into the first generation so that American football got back together. 
So this is what, like, emo music sounds like to me. That's the other thing, is, like, bands like My Chemical Romance and Reliant K, they have chords. They rely on chords. You know what I mean? I think of emo music as relying on notes. Like, there's so much twinkling and technical guitar work and sometimes, like, angular stuff and, like, purposefully out of tune or purposely sort of shifted scales so that things don't sound directly melodic and sweet. Like, that's what I think of as real emo music. See, I just Um, hear this and I think, like, indie. Yeah, but that's the thing, and that's the other thing is like. I mean, what even is indie? <laughs> what is indie? Like independent? Yeah, like you. I think that comes up in our second, the second yeah. portion. I also wanted to play a little bit of Branston. The word, if anyone's ever heard of them, they were. I believe they have some Christian adjacent sort of ties. There's a pro, there's a couple promo images of Reliant K where Brian is wearing a Branston shirt. Interesting. And I don't think they were they were on Deep Elm Records. And I really when I got into the idea of emo, this artistic like emo rock of the early generation of it, Deep Elm Records was like the first place I went to. They had these compilations called the Emo Diaries. And all those emo diary comps have like the real early styles of emo on it. Branston was a band that I learned about because I was because I would see online like, oh, they're technically a Christian band, even though they're not on a Christian label. And they don't play Christian, you know, tours. But I think they would play Cornerstone. But even if you were technically sort of Christian, you played Cornerstone. Like, MC Hammer played Cornerstone. (laughs) Okay, there's chords in here. I'm not saying early emo music can't have chords. But it can't rely purely on a four-chord style of structure or even, like, just only chords in the music. How offended would everyone be if I'm like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Weezer? That's not an awful thing to say. That does come up. Justin mentions... <laughs> I'm just going to keep it. Oh, they... Hold on. I'll mention this. Like, Justin mentions, like, Pinkerton was kind of seen as, like, a cornerstone... I just said the word cornerstone in relation to the festival. But Pinkerton, the album by Weezer, was co- sort of seen as a cornerstone for, like, emo... The emo scene in a little in a little bit of a ways. Even though... Weezer was like a pop rock band and a radio rock band and maybe they had some ties to pop punk of the 90s style of like the Lemonhead style and like these bands that weren't particularly Green Day-esque but were just sort of, you know, influenced by, you know, punk music into an alternative rock style. Pinkerton was so starkly emotional lyrically that it kind of also lends into that like yeah, because emo music also then becomes like a Dashboard Confessional. And Dashboard Confessional doesn't sound like any of these bands we talked about. Dashboard Confessional doesn't sound like any of those early, uh, you know, Cap and Jazz or American Football. They don't sound like any of the... He doesn't sound like any of the later emo bands like My Chemical Romance or Reliant K. So all these different styles of emotional rock just get labeled emo, but it's not really one genre of music. And it's not like, yeah, punk rock has a lot of different styles of punk rock within it. But like emo, I don't think it's afforded that. I don't think it should be afforded that same level of all kinds of different musical styles or emo. It's like, well, no, because those are already musical styles. That's hardcore music and that's singer songwriter music and that's indie rock. But you're just also labeling it emo. This is all stuff we get into later. (laughs) (laughs) The band Branston has a song called Leaving Ohio. Oh, 
Also, Branston had the, the original Sick Transit Gloria, which the band Brand New, one of their first big songs was called, was called Sick, Trans- Sick Transit Gloria. And then ba- Brand New went on to be a big bad man band. So it's like they stole from Branston, but they also and had the word brand in there. has name. a song titled Gloria. That's right. It all, it all ties together. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have, well, we'll get, we'll take our break. Oh, should we take our break before we go into our guests, I guess? We should, yeah, probably. Should we just finish so, out? Okay. Yeah. So do you, do you want me to do the deep dive or are you ready to do your You your do the deep stuff? dive okay. and I'll show the cover and the other things. All right. Despite being early and on the self-titled, we don't have any song meetings this week, believe it or not, since it's an instrumental, although it wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We also don't have any TikToks, although the song listing did come up. And this is where last week I was like, we have bass tabs. And I'm like, oh, nope, nope, wait, that's next week. It's from BigBassTabs.com. We have bass tabs if you're interested in uh, learning how to play this one. Uh, and then over on Josh Below's blog, every Reliant K song ranked, he lists this as his third to last favorite Reliant K song at number 191. Wow. <laughs> and did, then, did you see what the last two, what was under it? Yeah. <laughs> now you have to click I, it. We've been over this before. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, we're so close to the bottom of the list. I want to see what the... Faking My Own Suicide is oh, his right. least favorite. I do remember that. Yeah. Then it's PTL. Then oh. Anchorage. Huh. Then ahead of it are B-Rad, Kojak, Curb, Register, William, Flair, uh, Kids on the Street. So just the songs you didn't listen to that much. <laughs> right. Because B-Rad's a, a really fun song. stuff, yeah. Um, April. April. You've got a treat over there. Now, I don't know if you're going to cover this in your section or not, but of course, Princes of the Sun are back. Yes, they did. Okay. They're the only cover of the song. Well, I'll, I'll uh, hold off on that. So then, my Reliant K Emo search results yielded many 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 pages reliant k apparently played on the um yeah tour at a venue called emos austin in austin right. texas yes i've heard of that uh and then there's there's a relevant article reliant k apologized for the whole mood rings thing oh yeah i think we talked about that, that was yeah. the, the reply they gave on tiktok we talked about that like the week it happened yeah because Everything on relevant is so relevant. (laughs) (laughs) And then, even though we say, Reliant K, not Emo, Thiessen played solo at Emo Night in Nashville. That's right. That was very recent. See, that's why I think now Emo is really more of a scene than a genre. I don't think, I think it's just, it's, as a genre, forget it. It's over. It was, it barely held together as a genre this idea of what's emo really was already other things. It was already artistic post-hardcore. It was already singer-songwriter. It was already indie rock. Like, Pedro the Lion would get labeled as emo, but he was really just indie rock. It was already dramatic pop-punk, My Chemical Romance, and Paramore. These, all these bands already had other genres, but then they just got kind of, like, side-labeled as emo bands. I think now we just have to think of emo as a scene. So when, like... Uh, once we were young, when we were young, fest happens. That's a scene fest. Like a, once some, we were young, <laughs> when we were young, when we were young, because like Michelle, because that scene now is this big emo festival. But like Michelle Branch isn't emo. Avril Lavigne is not emo. 
uh, lit is not emo. Like these, <laughs> like it's it doesn't really hold water to call all these different styles of punk, all these different styles of punk, also different styles of emo. I feel like forget it. Emo is a scene or it's a state of mind if you want to adopt it, but it is not a genre. There you go. And then finally, over on MTV.com, 37 emo songs you doodled on your Chuck Taylors. Be My Escape by Reliant K. Most angsty lyric, I am a hostage to my own humanity. Oh, yeah, that's so angsty. (laughs) You know, that classic. (laughs) I mean, I guess some people would call biblical concepts angsty, but that's not really that's that's like. Coming after that, it's self-contained and forced to live in this mess I made. How is forced to live in this mess I made not actually more angsty than being a hostage to your own humanity? Is it the word hostage? That's just the keyword they like plucked out of the song. And wha- like now I'm playing heaven's advocate <laughs> because I'm the guy who tries to take the secularist view on every Reliant K song. But in this case, I'm like, that is a Christian lyric. That's not angsty. That's like, I'm a sinful person and I'm penitent and I... I'm stuck in my sinful ways and I want to be better and I want to escape from the bad person I allow myself to be. That's not angst. I mean, maybe in a textbook dictionary way, you could say how that's angst, but that's not what I think of as angst. That's just like wishing to be a better person. (laughs) Yeah, I've been locked inside this house all the while you hold the key. Again, more poetic. angsty lyric, poetic and more angsty than I am a hostage to my own humanity. And I think that just kind of shows how people don't really know what the hell the word emo means. Because like, if you're just too poetic, suddenly you're emo. Like, and it, it, there's like no I, end to it. Like yeah. Jane Austen, she's the original emo or whatever. Sylvia Plath, the original emo. I'm yeah. going to put that on a shirt too. <laughs> and I, this, is, this is the joke I always go to is the Google Dolls. Like, technically, the Goo Goo Dolls, from their chord progressions to their musical style to their lyrics, have to be labeled an emo band. But of course they're not. It's almost laughable to think of the band, the Goo Goo Dolls, as an emo band. But the the, the standard that all these other generation of, of emo bands are being, of bands being labeled as emo are held to, the Goo Goo Dolls should be held right along with that. But no, they're not an emo band because... Emo is not a real thing. Like Nirvana and Foo Fighters should technically be labeled an emo band for some of their emotional songs. And I've said it before, I think Everlong, not an emo song, but I do think it helps to pave the way for some bands like Jimmy Eat World and some concepts of early emo to start to twinkle into the mainstream rock when Foo Fighters released the song Everlong, which is not an emo song, but it should be labeled an emo song if everyone's just going to hold this emo standard accountable. Because it's not accountable. It's just like thrown around willy-nilly. Just willy-nilly labeling things emo. And Christina Aguilera is emo too because she has that song so emotional. <laughs> right. And again, that's really what it comes down to. Is It's like it's it's just ridiculous that like if you're too emotional, you're labeled emo. And we didn't talk about the origins of emo. The origins of emo is it comes from actual hardcore music, and I mean like black, like the scene from which like bands like Black Flag and the Germs come from, like hardcore punk rock music. And when a couple of bands like had the audacity to sing. <laughs> Rites of Spring. Let me play some Rites of Spring. When the band Rites of Spring... I already had them up from earlier. 
This is the first. This is the first band labeled as an emo band. This is Rites of Spring. This is just a hardcore punk band. Mm-hmm. But he has the audacity to sing, <laughs> and sing about themes like you know, I want a better life, and I and I, there's a girl I love and stuff. They have the audacity to sing instead of just screaming. So they're emotional hardcore and then that got shortened to emo that's where the core of this emo thing comes from so it was always built on a fallacy a pure fallacy this is emo guys this is where emo started but there's no difference between this i think most like gen z and millennials could listen to a band like rights of spring and not be able to tell what's the difference between this and black flag and the germs but you, if you lived at it at the time, how dare how, I can't believe they're singing. <laughs> anyway, there is like we like you said, there's one cover, and then we'll end before we go to our conversation with David and Justin. We'll play the live performance we have of this song, but first let's play uh, Princes of the Sun's only known cover of the song Anchorage by Reliant K. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and then it goes into their cover of uh, Seventeen Magazine, which I'm sure we played back in Seventeen Magazine. And we'll hear their version of Staples when we get to that song. But here is the live version recently released just this month, released on YouTube by the YouTube channel Sadie Hawkins Pod. <laughs> this is Reliant K Soul Fest. October 4th and 5th, 2000, Laconia, New Hampshire, two live sets. Not two live crew, but two live sets. And this is the version of Anchorage that Reliant K plays live. And I'm going to play the whole preamble that they talk about leading up to Seventeen Magazine and how this is the intro to Seventeen Magazine. Stephen come out and tell everybody about our show and and we're gonna go on tour with them in the in the springtime starting in February so check that out if you can yeah you can check that out if you want this next song's about uh, Seventeen magazine and it's about how Seventeen magazine don't have no clue about what the meaning of love is because we have a creator he totally made that stuff up, all that love stuff. And uh, he gives us his book that tells us how to love each other. I love that uh, Hoops is quietly strumming uh, the, the, <laughs> the Backstreet Boys cover. <laughs> you Are My Fire, My mm-hmm. One Desire. What's that song called? I Want It That Way. Which they also play in this live show. And it's not all about, I don't know, what he's wearing at the party. Or what she's wearing or how she did her hair, or uh, those, those quizzes with the twin questions, whether you like sync or not. So, um, this is called 17 Magazine. The intro is a little wussy. 
The intro's a little wussy. That's what he said. Oh, I thought I he said iffy. Oh, yeah, because you said iffy when we did our watch-along oh, at patreon.com slash Pod, And that's what I thought he said. But now, listening closer, I heard he said wussy. Oh. The opening's wussy. So that's what that's, I'd rather thought of have music. them apologize for that than mood rings. Right. <laughs> add a little vocals to this version of the song that's not in the album that I can recall is it buried in there and I'm you know didn't really do my due diligence putting on the big headphones for this 20 second track <laughs> just kind of doing the oohs and ahs and such no they just add the oohs and the ahs to the live version sure just a little okay. something extra. That makes sense. It's funny, though, because I think we, when we did 17 Magazine... didn't have all those same instruments on stage at that time. They're still four-piece, so, you know. Well, yeah, there is some sort of, like... Yeah. We didn't talk about the instrumentation in this track on the studio version, but, yeah, there's something else going on here, right? It's not just guitar. That's some sort of, like, uh... Bells or something. Some sort of bells with some MIDI bells or a MIDI glockenspiel or something there's something going on there yeah yeah well i think i think we've set up perfectly for our conversation <laughs> with david and justin of jimmy Eat pod that's coming up next after the break i we put them to the test of our usual closing metric i can't remember if we do it as well so maybe we should do it here just in case we didn't cover it there Jessica, do you like Anchorage the same or less or more than before we talked about it this week? I like it more. I think I like it more now as well. And I, like I said, I don't remember if we repeat this later with David and Justin, but we'll see. Just remember that what I'm saying now happened last. So ultimately, I like this song more, even if I contradict myself later. Or it doesn't come up at all. And on that confusing note, we're going to go ahead and take our break and then we will be back with our interview. Thanks for listening. Out of time podcasting is so emo. Thank you so much for listening to Sadie Hawkins Pod. If you want to join the conversation, please contact us with thoughts on this episode, your corrections, and your Reliant K memories at our voicemail line, 402-95-SADIE, or send an email to sadiehawkinspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our socials. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all at Sadie Hawkins Pod, where you can see the visuals we discuss on the podcast each week. 
You can also visit sadiehawkinspod.com for easy access to all these links, as well as our merch store for shirts, mugs, and stickers. And on Facebook, search for Sadie Hawkins Group to discuss our show and Reliant K. It's admin by Danny, so honestly, you can probably post almost anything there. We also want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash sadiehawkinspod, who include Samantha, Matthew, Bjorn, Emily, Isaac, Kindle, Joshua, Daniel, Jay, Joel, Connor, Michael, Samantha, Jimmy Eat Pod, This Might Be a Podcast, Tucker, and Brady. Join our Patreon now for two monthly bonus episodes. Unlock dozens of existing bonus apps, including K is for Karaoke songs, every chapter of the complex infrastructure known as the Female Mind Book, stickers, guitar picks, and a special Patreon-exclusive shirt when you have donated a lifetime contribution of $60. Whether you join the Patreon or not, we appreciate that you have a lot of choices for podcasts out there in the world, so it's nice that you chose us. Thanks. So, I have gathered us all here today. <laughs> so, have you, if you were wondering why have I summoned everyone together, we're here with David and Justin of <laughs> Jimmy. Are, are you sure? Well, I was, for a second, I was like, wait, is it Justin and David? Or is it David and Justin? Like, it's David and Justin. Okay. It is not Busters and Dave's. It is Dave and Busters. Oh yeah, I was gonna say alphabetical, but that's that's reverse alphabet. Nah. We always well, we kind of have. I don't know. What do you think we are canonically? I think I try to keep it fluid. I when I post a copy, when I when I type something up for the descriptions under episodes, or if I'm typing something in Twitter, I'm purposefully always switching it back and forth. We usually get voicemails to Dan and Jess. Okay. Yeah. Although I refer to Google you as Danny and Jeff to Susie, but I guess it's yeah. I think that's uh, pretty misogynistic of me, and I apologize. Right. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here with Jimmy Eat Pod. I summoned them because uh, even though we're recording this part first, I assume we've talked all about Reliant K. Are they emo? Why are they called emo? What is emo? I plan. <laughs> I plan to play some actual Christian. I, if I did this, I planned to play some actual Christian, like Midwest style emo bands in the nice. episode. Who knows if we did that? But we're here with what I think of when I think of an emo, emo podcast. Jimmy Eat Pod. <laughs> yes. David and Justin discuss every Jimmy Eat World song. And, uh, you know, the origins of both our podcasts are pretty intertwined because uh, I've shared this here and there. But when Jessica and I were trying to think up a a podcast to do together, I didn't really have any ideas. And then it was David who told us when we uh, hung out in real life one time that you were working on a Jimmy Eat World podcast. And I was like, oh, I didn't think of doing a band, Reliant K. And then we just like got up and started doing the podcast like immediately like immediately laps uh (laughs) jimmy pod (laughs) i was so impressed yeah well we had had that we had had a podcast once before which we talked about which was much it's completely disappeared scrubbed from the internet about a (laughs) sci-fi channel show very embarrassing sounded bad that was our proto podcast but um yeah yeah anyway uh, i asked you guys on because this song Anchorage is only 20 seconds long. It's really just an interstitial track. So here we are doing 
what I assume is a two and a half hour episode for a 20 second song. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to have you guys on because you are what I, you know, you are the uh, emo experts in our, (laughs) (laughs) and I've been talking for way too long. So it's your show. Yeah. This is I, important. It, it's hard when you record the interview first because you want to say all the things that you maybe have already said. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess to kick it off. So I've been listening. So I listen to you guys. I mean, I know David listens to our podcast. I don't think Justin does. Thanks a lot, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome. You know, it's it's not it's no personal thing. But I just realized it's, Jessica I, also doesn't say, listen to your podcast. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's all, even. It cancels. Yeah. It. Yeah, it out. It's fine. So I listen to you guys. David listens to us when I, I know your stories about why Jimmy Eat World is both your second favorite band, right? I know how you got Mm -hmm. into both, how you got into Jimmy Eat World. I don't feel like you've necessarily talked about how you both got into or discovered the idea of emo music. So I was wondering if we can kick it off that way. Like how, how and where and when did you discover the concept of emo being a specific genre and what did you think it was when you first discovered it yeah all right hey david can i go first and you just check please because i think both of ours are going to have to do with weezer i think so (laughs) yeah so i'll you've probably heard me tell this story so many times in different ways and weezer was my introduction into what i consider like alt rock my first pursuit into a band where i liked the entire album blue album and then got into Pinkerton in 1996, which at the time I don't think any of us that were Weezer fans knew what that album was. And if you go into the, like the history of that album, it it turns out that it was one of those like a cult classic. People really appreciated it way after it became pop or after its time. So that was Weezer, and then Jimmy World always felt like. A, like a, a kid sister or a, a sibling to Weezer. I never really felt that they were anything emo. I didn't know what emo was. And we have discussed the different waves of emo. And it wasn't until I think we did this podcast that I really started looking into different segments of emo. And I believe what I had come across was that there was a first wave in the 80s, late 80s, and then Jimmy World was part of the second wave, had moved into the third wave, and I feel as though the third wave was what I considered personally to be emo music. That was when I started getting into Dashboard Confessional, uh, bands like that where it was. It seemed like there was a lot of drawn out, uh, we make comments about Jim going, oh, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there was a lot of that intentionally in, the, in that music, and that's what I associated with emo music. It wasn't necessarily what Jimmy World was doing, and then 15, 20 years later, looking back on what Jimmy World had produced and their different phases and their different uh, the iterations of their albums, I could see how emo applied, but it's still a loose fit for me to say that Jimmy World is an emo band. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. The first time I ever heard the term emo, and I didn't even know what it was, was Dude Ranch, because there's a song called Emo. But I didn't right. know what or why, what what it meant, anything like that. Maybe they misspelled emo, who knows. <laughs> then a girl in high school, we're just having a conversation, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, like I listen to Blink and stuff like that, what are you going to do? She's like, oh, I like emo. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, oh, you know, like Weezer. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Like, that was the most I knew about it. And then all of a sudden, Dashboard came out, and the word emo became like this zeitgeist, like on the tip of everybody's tongue, and everybody was mad about it. 
Like everybody was like (laughs) the band I was in, uh, the guitarist, when I met him had already written a song called fuck emo, which was like the biggest song that we ever played at every show opened with fuck emo that we played. Like it, and all it was, was a really shitty weird Al style parody of San Dimas high school football rules by the Ataris, a pop punk band. (laughs) Right. But, those bands all got lumped into emo where you were singing like the Jordan from newfound glory or Andrew from something corporate. Like that was all of a sudden what I knew to be emo. However, then I started hearing all the people saying that's not emo and, or, or everybody was mad about being labeled emo and then all this stuff. So I became like more of an arbiter of like, all right, well, if the song Emo from Dude Ranch was named after the genre, and I was told by a girl that Weezer was her favorite emo band, like, there's a disconnect here. And so I became, like, the, well, actually, guy, um, and (laughs) told everybody what pop punk was versus emo. And although I do think Chris Caraba kind of cut out his own niche, but, um, and he gets respect from, like, like, Tom Mullen, I think, is the arbiter of emo. Um, in terms of like somebody that actually gives a shit about it like and i'm like i love jimmy Eat world i couldn't give two shits about the genre emo i'm a really <laughs> bad fan of emo music i like but we talk about um midwest emo i really seem to like that because i saw tiny moving parts open for who did they they mo- they opened for somebody but they stole the fucking show they were incredible and that was the first time i was like man that dude's really noodling on that guitar and then i learned that was just the midwest emo sound and i was like oh i guess i'm really into that right um and that does seem cut more of the same like cloth of like you hear the band names like rights of spring and jets to brazil none of those bands i can put on the records and be into but like boxcar racer right the most accessible emo music I can get into in that it's so inspired by quicksand and seven seconds and rites of spring and those like sort of one and a half wave emo bands that you're like, okay, I can kind of get it. I, I, I'm into it, I guess. Um, but yeah, not a huge, (laughs) not a huge fan of the genre, but, uh, I respect it. Right. I'm kind of glad we did have this conversation before the first part, because I didn't, think about how many different subsets of punk music do get lumped in to emo because you guys just covered so many things that I had forgotten about <laughs> because to me with when we focus on a band like Reliant K or I would consider even like Paramore still like people lump Paramore in with emo and obviously My Chemical Romance is probably considered at this point like the biggest emo band but really, they're just like, when you boil all these things down, they're just like punk bands or alternative rock bands. And I kind of forgot about the thing with Pinkerton. And I forgot about like the Ataris getting lumped in as emo just because like, you know, they were, they're a pop punk band. But, you know, he played around with structure a lot. Like it wasn't always just verse, chorus, verse for uh, Chris Rowe, and that might be too artistic for the typical pop punk thing. Because to me, I think I learned about the word emo right before I discovered Dude Ranch. So when I saw that there was a song called Emo, I got the context that it was supposed to be an emo song or inspired by it, but I'd already kind of heard what emo was. And I discovered what emo was because of file trading. 
And like I would go to punk file trading sites and things would get categorized in here's the hardcore section, here's the pop punk section, here's the ska, and here's the emo. And I was like, what's emo? And then I, but those uh, file trading sites were always like sort of elitist. So they was always just like Midwest emo. And a lot of, and that's a lot of like deep Elm records and stuff like that. So when I think of emo, like I was always on the sort of Midwest emo side of it. Not even like the band had to be from the Midwest but that style of music. So to me, like the ultimate emo band would be like uh, Jimmy Eat World, honestly, because to me, I always felt like Jimmy Eat World took the like the twinkly post hardcore sort of sound, but distilled it down into a radio friendly, better pop sensibility, something that was like, you could take a band like Appleseed Cast or camber or uh i don't have i gotta have all these band names ready when we (laughs) when we've already done the first segment but uh and you know deep elm records honestly like i got into deep elm records like when they were still pretty new with the emo diaries comps and stuff like that and i it always seemed to me like jimmy world basically took that aesthetic and said let's like make this perfect for being like this kind of rock band inspired by this just like blink takes skate punk but and distills it down into a into a core that then they can like expand and become a giant rock band from that basis. That's what Jimmy World was to me. So it's funny that Justin doesn't even consider <laughs> Jimmy World like you don't like it doesn't feel doesn't like uh, correlate to you that they're an emo band. When to me I'm like they're like the they're like the cornerstone where like real emo got to Jimmy Eat World and then after that it was just all different styles of pop punk band and if they were too emotional they got labeled as emo bands well when you when you put it that way I can see where you're coming from uh that was a really that was a nice way of of saying that they they really just hit it they were the ones that made it when there was all these different emo bands the ones that were just too too emo um, that those are maybe that's like the dashboard confessional branch. Um, they, if, if you're going to consider Jimmy world emo, they definitely took it. And I think we learned this David with looking at the songs and dissecting them lyrically and seeing the type of writing that Jim does. I think it's more in the band and the delivery of those same lyrics. You could probably hear those same lyrics in a different band. If it's going to be Hawthorne Heights singing the same song that Jimmy world does, it's going to sound completely different. But with that way that Jimmy World delivers these things and the, how consistent they've been as you know as the four slash five piece band now, um, it I, I think I've just I've taken that out of the equation that whole emo part of it. But yeah, they were on Emo Diaries, right? Where we're in one of them, or was is that right? Am I mistaken? No, emo yeah, Diaries they were on was opener, always the was louder, screamier stuff. It was never what I wanted it to be. Yeah, so chapter one had opener. On their opening track, oh, of, did it? Of, oh, okay. The, yes. I, oh, that were you're right. You're right. The emo, di- yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that had it. So they were. They've been on it. So yeah, they they were considered in the 1997. And then it, the yeah, that whole thing was where they were like, "What's emo?" Like even they didn't even know what it was right. when they got put on this emo comp, and they were like, "Wait, we're not an emo band." <laughs> exactly, and that helps me to justify me not thinking that they're an emo band is because they didn't even know what they were doing at the time. They were doing their own thing. It, it, and it doesn't matter. I think they could probably tell you now. It's like we didn't even want a label. We are not. And I'm not saying like a, a record label, but we didn't want to be labeled as anything. We just wanted to do what we wanted to do. 
play at the Buffalo Exchange, play at these places that got us notoriety, gave us fans, uh, built our fan base, and they built relationships relationships with other bands. If it was, uh, you know, what is it? Um, build your own fucking life. Is that the was that the zine? Book your own fucking life. Yeah. Book, book your own fucking life. Uh, through that, it just it seemed like they had had their nose to the grindstone from day one, and it paid off. Uh, they just happened to be going through and were kind of weaved in and out of that emo, yeah. all the phases of emo in the mid '90s. Yeah, going back to what you had, you were talking about, Danny the uh, the fact that Jimmy Eat World was able to distill this Midwest emo sound into a uh, into a radio pop format. Paul Drake, who was one of their original tour manager slash photographer slash all that stuff when we had him on the show he was saying uh you know like i toured with all these bands that were like lumped into emo but they all sounded like shit and none of their recordings (laughs) were any good but jimmy world was signed to capital and so they were able to get all of the stuff that sounded shitty on everybody else's recording sounded so good on jimmy world's recordings because Mm -hmm. they had the money behind them to do it um and uh so yeah they they basically took and ran with what they were given by the label, which was no marketing, but an incredible sounding record. Right. And I I missed what some, I missed some of what you guys said because our internet dropped out, but I came back in and you were still going. So I'm like, perfect. I can't wait to hear it when I go to edit the episode. (laughs) But, um, so forgive me if you said some of this, but one other thing is like, uh, yeah, something else I also tie in in my mind with, talking about bands that sound like shit is that like so another thing i tie in with emo is that it's kind of like it's basically a word that already it's a word that just kind of gets swapped out for all these other genres is what we're talking about but one of the genre gets swapped out for a lot early was like post hardcore bands mm-hmm. and any kind of more artistic hardcore band because that was something that I always used to see, like trying to research emo music. And it wasn't even like fully solidified in the late nineties, mid nineties internet. Like not everyone was even then agreeing exactly what emo music was. And there were bands who were like strongly labeled as emo and they didn't want to be. And they're like, we're post hardcore or whatever. And those bands, like they might've seen themselves as the next Fugazi with some like twinkly parts and some like emotional lyrics and some, you know, more melody than screaming, but some of them did sound like crap. So it's like, it's funny that like you could take, maybe it's not, it's just, so there's these bands. I don't know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I'm remembering all these. This is part of what I wanted to do. This episode was try to remember all these thoughts I had about emo. And um, I completely lost my point. You're good. Well, this is like Patreon yeah, so, part two. I just finished that. The, yeah, yes. Tired. You know what's funny is that the new Patreon episode, we hit record and I mentally hit a wall. I felt I felt that thing that like happens right here in my sinuses where it's like, oh, my my ability to like exist in the world is gone and I'm now hitting that same wall, but I'm working through it. I'm working through it. <laughs> well, you know, and, and talking about the bands that you just talked about, the post hardcore bands, it wasn't until I want to say after their time that they came, that those bands really, the that period of time when they were prolific. Mm-hmm. So I want to say like mid-2000s. I'm looking at this list here. Got 
<laughs> Thursday is in this list, David, <laughs> Thursday. Um, but Thrice is in here Thursday. Uh, but I'm thinking of ones like Chiodos. So I had friends that would say, oh, yeah, Pierce the Veil, Chiodos. Have you ever listened to them? And then I would go, I, I guess I've heard of them. But it was this band, this this series that I considered like this – is it new metal? It, it, maybe that's what mm. I considered it at the time. But then they were saying, no, we're post-hardcore. And I jokingly thought in maybe five or six years after these bands had come and gone, some some stayed on and, and did their thing, but others that just kind of fizzled out, most of them did. Uh, I feel like they they were just, I, it was almost a joke to label them as certain things. And post-hardcore never really hit anything with me. I never really, I still don't understand what it is. I know what hardcore music is. And you it's talked after about hardcore. Poop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, but but I, guess, I, I guess I didn't even know what hardcore was until I think it was, we were talking about Eric Grubbs' book and he talked about Fugazi and then I started looking at all these other bands in like the mid to late 80s that were really kind of underground, hardcore, New York uh, if it's East Coast, really gritty crap. Yeah, but then there's you. these other bands that just seemed like they were so polished in the mid-2000s that were post-hardcore, or what were supposed to be post-hardcore, and it was just such a mixed-up thing that I maybe it was they were trying to get labeled as something at, at, at one point. Uh, and it just didn't, it never really resonated with me. I kind of stuck, and that, that's also when Weezer got kind of weird, so I got into other into other bands at that point in time, too. But if, for me personally, the whole labeling of, of bands as like, this is what we were for music, I don't know. It just kind of like lost its steam after the mid-2000s into 2010, and it was just kind of like, whatever whatever was in presented to me on whatever streaming service, that's what I was listening to. I wasn't going out yeah. and going to, uh, gosh, I can't even, I, let's just say Amoeba. I wasn't going to Amoeba and searching in in these these different sections like oh this is I got to go look in the post hardcore to see what's new and exciting yeah. with shellac, right? Well, what's interesting is the the whole pop punk thing that we talked about that got labeled as emo, we're all inspired by those people. So uh, Danny, you were talking about Gorilla Biscuits a zillion times on the Patreon right. episode. <laughs> um, wasn't Chad from Newfound Glory either in that band or won't shut up about that band? So he was really into that band, and then. Uh, Pete Wentz was in a hardcore band that then went on to be, uh, he he then started Fall Out Boy and it was like, yes, we are a pop punk band that are from emo roots. And then everybody in Paramore talks about growing up listening to all these quote unquote true that, you know, I'll, I'll say like uh, Tom Mullen would say are emo bands. They listen to those bands, so they're informed by that music, but they're not right. claiming that flag. Yeah. Um yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a whole thing. And I think the, so something I was trying to get at with the post hardcore thing is like oh, there's so many ways I want to, I could go with this <laughs> with this point. So it's like my understanding of post hardcore when I when I saw it like basically being used as a synonym for emo, which it really isn't. And what I'm realizing now is emo is just this like false flag. It's like the most false flag genre in the world because it's been labeled on so many different styles of music that already have names for those subgenres of rock and punk but everything gets labeled emo so it's like and i tweeted this recently like in a world where everything's emo nothing's emo but i'm feeling like that's even more true because all of these underground genres of bands that aren't even like super popular like these more hardcore bands and 
you know, even like an, an album like Pinkerton gets labeled, which is not underground, but like an la- album like Pinkerton, which is so different than uh, At the Drive-In, but both of those get labeled as emo, and then so does Reliant K, and then so does Newfound Glory. And like I joked one time online about how the Goo Goo Dolls technically could be labeled as emo, which they're absolutely not. They're just an alternative rock band. But when you but he has look the at what, hair. yeah, he has the swoopy <laughs> hair, and he has the he has the, he holds the notes like in an emotional way, and it's a lot of the same topics. David, all you you mentioning all those bands that like started out with these hardcore roots, and then they become like these giant pop bands, and they're really just pop bands, rock pop bands that like they start with these hardcore roots like that was my understanding of post hardcore is it's basically like people who started out playing hardcore and they got bored because like sometimes <laughs> you have hardcore in your blood i guess like people who live and die by hardcore and their crew and they're gonna live and die with Toby their hardcore Morse crew will right. always be hardcore <laughs> exactly but like post hardcore when I've seen some documentaries one of the best ones I ever saw was the one about um San Diego it's gonna blow the documentary about the San Diego punk scene. Like it, it literally, that documentary ends with, with Tom DeLonge. Like basically they're like, it's like, we got to Blink-182. There you go. The end. But before they get to that, it like starts out with all these hardcore bands in the eighties that are basically, you know, more California, so SoCal hardcore bands. And then they just get bored with the regular black flag style, hardcore guitar so they start adding in more technical stuff, little stuff here and there until suddenly you have drive like Jehu and like drive like Jehu and, and black flag don't sound anything alike, you know, to uh, when you first listen to them. But when you watch this documentary, you get how like they're starting out playing three chord, hardcore punk. They get bored. They start adding a little bit more technicality here, a little bit more technicality there, some more guitar work that you wouldn't put in a hardcore punk band here and some more in this song and that song until suddenly you have all these much more technical, heavy rock songs that are like angular and stuff. And that's what my understanding of post-hardcore was. So then to take that and start adding more twinkly stuff, like what we're here to ultimately talk about is Anchorage, but adding more of this like twinkly guitar stuff that eventually gets you to Jimmy Eat World. Like it just kept evolving. And at some point someone's like, someone listens to Rites of Spring and they're like, well, you're not hardcore anymore. You're way too emotional, which Rites of Spring (laughs) is not really that emotional, but I guess when you're living in the eighties, hardcore SoCal, what, is Rice of Spring even SoCal? I don't even know where they're from. Justin's going to look it up, but like wherever yeah, yeah. wherever Rice of Spring's from, <laughs> when people lived and died by hardcore punk, and then they're like, whoa, Rites of Spring is way too soft and emotional, but they're not yeah. when you listen to those out with those songs. It's like you can see how something suddenly gets labeled as emo, and then this next band is a little too. Uh, there's one song that's a little too beautiful compared to the rest of their emo as well. So yeah. now I'm just realizing it's just this like, it's this label that gets put on. It's it's a it's like a scarlet letter. It's like this what True. you're doing, it it makes me uncomfortable compared to what I consider. You know, I, I want to shut off my emotions. I'm here to just well, have fun, man. And then it's like, to who? Who is it making uncomfortable? Probably right. the audience, because Chris Caraba talks about the first few Dashboard Confessional shows that he played, and I don't remember that it was under oath, but let's say it was under oath he's opening for, right? Or some hard, loud, hardcore band. 
he didn't see any difference between the what he was singing about and what they were singing about in that it was all based in emotion. Right. Um, so he didn't find it all that odd that he was playing those shows, but maybe a promoter might think it was odd, or maybe the audience wouldn't take to him, or vice versa, the audience was embracing him, and they weren't there to see an acoustic singer-songwriter dude. They were there to see a fucking loud rock show. Right. But they were, like, on board with the whole thing. So, you know, uh, there's a larger, obviously, zeitgeist, but then the smaller communities were embracing him enough to, I mean, Chris Caraba became huge, so. Right. What do you think, Jess? Totally. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Does emotion in music, does emotion in <laughs> rock music make you make you sick? Does it make you uncomfortable and sad when things are too vulnerable no when you're there to rock out and mosh <laughs> whenever we go to a show jessica's like i just got to get in the pit i don't care about all this, <laughs> these <Yeah>. emotions <laughs> i just felt bad because jessica's sitting there she's this like is, this is i have nothing all, to add like, to guest appearances go, though <laughs> like danny and the guests talk and i just hang out here and i just listen to everything and enjoy <laughs> well so let's let's talk about anchorage now um i think we i think we talked to death about emo as a whole right so let's put it into right. context now i do not consider reliant k an emo band just like i don't consider newfound glory an emo band that's a pop punk right. band now i have heard you say that reliant k is not a pop punk band all the stuff i like from them is very pop punk forward but i'm not right. familiar with a lot of matt Teeson's other stuff however i do know enough from context clues of listening to your show that Matt Thiessen loves playing with genre, loves playing with wordplay of which there are none on this so song, but this is very much him trying on an emo suit. Um, like a real emo suit, like an actual Midwest sort of. Exactly. He knows exactly what he's doing with this song. So I would say that this is an emo song that Reliant K put out, but it would be like if Reliant K put out a ska song, they're not a ska band, right? but they can, which they have done. They did the Five Iron Frenzy tribute song that's also like a minute long. Like It seems like every time they really play with his genre, it's less than a minute long. They did one one-minute one ska song once. But that's my take on it, Justin. What, what, did you, what were your takeaways from uh, Anchorage? Oh, well, you know, I couldn't really tell. It's, it's tough for me to tell in 22 seconds. Uh, I almost want to listen to it again just to hear what it sounds you like. Could, actually, I'd be curious if, if you want to... if you. Uh, I mean, this might be hard to do on YouTube, but if you listen to it into the song it follows into... Oh, that was the other thing. Magazine. I wanted to hear it. Yeah, I the way I listened to it, I listened to the last 20 seconds of the previous song and the next 20 seconds, and I almost didn't feel that it... I, I agree with you, Danny. I felt like it felt more like the previous song than it felt like Seventeen Magazine. So, are you you wanting me to go like the last few seconds of Staples into Anchorage and then into Seventeen Magazine? Sure, yeah, let's do that. All if, right, here, if, let's uh, do that. Okay, I can yeah. do that. Let's do that. We'll do the last uh, ten or so seconds with us. Okay. Okay, so we got some flutes in there playing, like vibrato. Oh yeah, it's a long outro there. Maybe some waves. Oh yeah, the the guitar tone alone. Yeah. Although this it does sound like ladder sonic uh, <laughs> stage music. It sounds like a menu select music. Totally. <laughs> All right. 
guess I could hear how it goes into Seventeen magazine that time. But yeah, uh, I, I don't think we had enough context. But I do think Staples has a riff. Staple Staples. Um, has a riff similar enough to that that I felt like it was just them revamping it, but it the the gap between the two tracks was almost too long that they felt disconnected in that way. But yeah, when you when we did it just now, I realized that there is more of a gap there. Mm-hmm. So it makes it, but also thematically, and I've talked about this, but thematically, Staples is about a friend of theirs getting theirs getting in a car crash, almost dying. He survived, and so I felt like. Having this like soft emo-y uh, pashish at the end of the song felt like a nice like like a nice way to just end what is essentially the starkest song on the album. Uh, there's no lyrical starkness on the first Reliant K record. Like this is other than Marilyn Manson eating his girlfriend. So <laughs> it's like <laughs> Staples is the most serious song. So it's like you lift it up with this thing, and then you get into. 17 magazine which is like a goofy song about teenage love so it's like i thought it was a bridge and that it belonged to the previous song because it's there to deliberately emotionally you know reacclimate you to have fun again after a song about a car crash and so i don't know i don't know we'll figure that out on our own or we did figure that out on our own <laughs> you guys well, remember <laughs> Let me ask you this. So, uh, this was sonically the way that that sounded. Yes, I would agree that that was emo. Um, Rise Against. Would you cre- would you consider them to be any any bit of emo music, or are they more rock? I would always, I always considered Rise Against to be just a rock band. Okay. We tonight, so we were listening in in the kitchen and Lindsay goes, Hey, so what are you listening to? And I said, It's like a very, very short song. So I asked Alexa to play it several times and she goes, Playing Reliant K and it and it played the intro to uh Be My Escape and I go, This is not Reliant K. And what it every time when I hear that track, it sounds like <laughs> Prayer of the Refugee, which I go, This is not Reliant K and then it goes into the actual like the chords that, uh, and, and you can hear um, singing it. But for a while there, and this is that was two thousand and four, right? That they had uh, "Be My Escape," but it just t- I will never not hear it as "Prayer of the Refugee" by Rise Against, and always think that this is not the right band. <laughs> Have we put them in rave DJ? They are so similar. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We should. In fact, I'll work on that. Okay. Yeah, I, I listened to it tonight, and twice I said, "I said, Lindsay, it didn't it, Alexa misheard me? She must have heard something else." But I was like, <laughs> "She no, just heard the letter R, but she <laughs> didn't get any of the other letters." Yeah, interesting. I have to listen. I have to go listen and compare those. So when you asked me like what I consider Rise Against emo, what I'm realizing now is I don't think I consider anything emo anymore <laughs> because yeah. I don't think it's a real word. Emo. And it's yeah. it's been a slow... So there's one theme of the last year on this podcast, and that's like, I, I don't believe in Christian music anymore. Uh, I, I, David probably has an idea what I'm talking about. And this has been like a slow revelation for me. I'm purposefully using all of these Christian <laughs> words, revelation. And, um, but like, what I've realized is like, you know... Uh, the entire existence of Christian pop music happened because of money. 
And like, I don't think a lot of Christians want to believe that, <laughs> but it's the truth because it's all about the Gospel Music Association and how they were in the in the 70s or the 80s. They were like, we're missing out on money from Christians who don't like stuffy old hymns and gospel music, but they also aren't comfortable going out there and buying uh, Rolling Stones records. So we're, you know, there's some rock bands that believe in Jesus. So we're going to start cultivating those artists into creating what by the 90s you have like cornerstone festival and you have all these christian tooth and nail records and you have all these christian bookstores selling these bands that are specifically geared to be sold to christian kids where the christian parents feel like they don't have to do any of the work to check the lyrics they don't have to do any of the work unless they look at the cover and they're like that cover looks scary and i think that's secretly a (laughs) satanist band pretending unless they're that stark (laughs) like hard right christian like it that's how it got to that point so i'm like i'm now realizing like there's no such thing as christian music it's because all the artists sorry this is long-winded but all the christian artists they usually come at it from a genuine place like a band like reliant k they're like we love MXPX and the Beach Boys and Weezer, and we're going to put those things together and make, you know, a somewhat unique-ish sounding pop punk band. And other Christian bands, Five Iron Frenzy and stuff, they're like, we like Skank and Pickle. We're going to start a ska band. A skank- that they literally Skank and Pickle was the reason they started as a ska band. So it's like, but you know, we're going to sing about Jesus because we all met in church. So it's like the ba- the artists usually mean it, but the the existence of it as a genre is bullshit because all it is is lyrics like it's literally just ska music and it's punk music and it's rock music but the <laughs> lyrics are about jesus so there's no genre of christian rock i'm just saying this all for justin because he's never had to hear this ramble before <laughs> i'm now realizing i i'm expanding my spiritual walk and i'm realizing there's no such thing as emo music even kirk franklin is gospel music or like that's like gospel r&b right like so yeah i was trying to think of like something that's like like as christian as could be when i was in school but it is it's still of a genre right like there is christian music it's hymns it's gospel it's it's gospel music i even modern worship which is really lends more to cold play than anything else but like modern worship music is technically a christian music but like all these other pop bands that play different styles of popular music and they just happen to sing about Jesus, that doesn't make that a genre. That's not Christian rock isn't a genre. It's just like all these different metal bands. They're like, we're going to sing about, I've used the same metaphor on the podcast, the same simile on the podcast before, but it's like, a metal band starts up and they're like, we're just going to sing about pirate stuff. We're just going to sing pirate lyrics the whole time. And they're like, we're pirate metal, but they didn't create a genre. There's not a real genre now just because they sing about pirates. They can say as a novelty, our genre is pirate metal, but in history is not going to reflect that pirate metal was a legitimate subgenre along with all the other forms of metal. So Christian punk rock and Christian emo and Christian ska and all this stuff it just got pushed by dollars, by stores, to become a genre. And now I'm thinking emo is basically the same thing, except I think it got pushed by a different a different force altogether. And that force was basically just like the internet. MySpace. And MySpace and people thinking the word emo sounded cool, but not having any idea what it actually was. <laughs> 
And I don't think anyone ever did. I think even when you now I'm realizing, like, even when people talk about real emo is Midwest emo, I'm like, well, Midwest emo was just like, you know, more artistic punk music. It was just punk bands. It was hardcore music. And it just all got labeled as emo because no one knew what to do with this name. Yeah. Well, what do you what do you think about indie? Like, we all know what an indie band sounds like. Right. Like it's referring to them being not on a label i guess but like yeah. then you have death cab which is the most indie band ever and they're on like a major label right so it's like oh what even is that singer songwriter that's a genre even though yeah. like every band has a singer well pretty much every band every band has a songwriter and pretty much every band has a singer but that's a genre who makes these things well, up well, I liked what you said about they, the Midwest emo thing and being more technical because listening, I, I have a playlist that when I'm doing work at, at school and I, I can't I can't listen to lyrics. So there's a Midwest emo um, and what is it? Instrumental playlist that somebody put together. And a lot of that stuff I feel is, did you use the word technical? At it's, some point, yeah. Yeah. So it, to me, it almost seems like I've angular. never been, I've never, <laughs> yeah, right. I've never been into math rock. I know that math rock is something that I probably would not enjoy. The most Maybe. angular music. Yeah, right? They so use compasses. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a 90 degree. Uh, that type of, I mean, that's the extreme. But when I think of Midwest emo, aside from bands that came out of like Chicago, there were a lot of bands, um, who am I thinking of? Definitely, I mentioned Hawthorne Heights already. That's a leaning more toward the emo, but when I think of Midwest emo, I think of that where it's, if you didn't put lyrics to it, what I hear is very technical, angular music. Um, what is the band that I'm thinking of? Like American, explosions American the, softball? American football. American football? I was maybe, Canadian maybe it's, softball it's, it's, is the joke version. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, that's what I consider Midwest emo, and they're serious about it, but what you were saying about people labeled things as emo because it was kind of a new thing and it was exciting to be able to have a label to associate with certain bands mm-hmm. and that's kind of why they got lumped in them but i feel like midwest midwest emo has truthfully been pretty sincere with what they've put out and they've never really changed their tune not necessarily they're not full on hardcore not underground they're not indie either which when i think of indie i think of like the flat brimmed hats and that kind of a thing and and a whistling, somebody's got to be claps. playing an acoustic guitar <laughs> so, yeah some kind of cajon or, or something involved in there but that like i feel like midwest emo has always been very true with what they've put out musically and like the the type of band and the type of music and they've been pretty I, I don't know, consistent, I guess. Maybe, and maybe that's, and I'm only just now understanding what Midwest emo is. Right. And it's kind of a cool little genre that that's worth exploring in my case. Well, Jessica, if, to try to get you back on the mic, yes. do you remember our Hawthorne, our Hawthorne Heights story? Y- yes. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Because you mentioned Hawthorne Heights, it reminded me that when Jessica and I were just friends, and I was hanging out at her apartment in uh, college. She had two Hawthorne Heights CDs. And she was like, oh, Danny, you like punk music and stuff, right? She's like, here, you can have these. And I was like, cool. And I took them home. I had not listened to Hawthorne Heights. I was like, cool, I'll take these home and I'll listen to them. I took them home. And the CDs weren't inside the cases. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate grip. And then... When I saw Jessica again, I was like, oh, the CDs weren't in the cases. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll keep an eye out for them. 
We've been together for 15 years. I we eventually we eventually lived in that same uh, I said apartment, but it was a townhouse. We eventually lived in that same townhouse when we were married, and we never found those CDs. We never found okay. them. I have to, I have to ask the question: Were they ever in the CD case to begin with? I mean, did you ever open them to verify? No, yeah, they were. I opened them. They weren't in there. Like she must have. Well, no, I yeah, know, I, but when oh, I bought them new, it's just, and I had listened to them and everything. I think they just ended up in like a CD case somewhere, like a CD booklet somewhere. And that's oh, probably yeah, the where they logic. still are. Right. <laughs> Danny just doesn't usually look through my CD booklets because he's upset that I have them and that my CDs aren't in their cases. So <laughs> I can almost give leeway to someone who gets rid of the, the clamshell, the, the cases themselves. As long as you keep the backs, the booklets, and the CDs. But anyone who throws away the backs of the CDs along with the cases, I'm like, this is criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that doesn't make me feel so bad then, because I have both. I put all of my stuff into one of the the 250-CD case logic, but then I kept all of the CD cases themselves, which took up (laughs) now like three times as much space. But I felt like, I don't know, I, it, maybe because my dad had his record sleeves and I felt like I should keep those. But I, I, I mean, now I have two things that I'm moving from house to house as, as I'm <laughs> yeah. kind of changing locations. I painstakingly <laughs> silly. took the big book and the box of cases one night and just put on like a movie or five and put each disc into the thing so I could take it to Amoeba. <laughs> Get rid of that shit. <laughs> could not wait. <laughs> well i think we did it i mean i don't know what did we do here <laughs> well, i think but, we agreed that yeah. emo is not a thing yeah i never yeah. was I, and, and will never be i'm shocked to really discover that that i mean it i guess not exists and this is a very emo song yeah <laughs> i guess i guess the leeway i would give to emo culture to people who like the word emo is like if you want to put that label on yourself like we, you know, we're, as a society, we let we we need to let people say what they are. So if you feel like you are emo, then that's fine. But if you start going around and saying that's an emo band, that's an emo band, that's well, that's not on you to do. So I think emo should be a singular thing. Individuals should say I'm emo or whatever. <laughs> I'm emo, but because I'm emo, I like these type of pop punk bands and I like these type of post hardcore bands. So, but I, yeah, I don't think emo itself is actually a genre. I think it's all been a sham the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Somewhere there's an emo oh, association, the emo gospel association that actually pushed EGA, this the whole man. time. <laughs> Your Hawthorne Heights allegory is like very apt for this in that like they, they, you had a shell, you had a, you had a jewel case of emo and you opened it up and looked inside and there was nothing. And there was nothing there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, hey, can can we listen to uh, Escape of My Refugee? Oh, quick? yes. Give it a few seconds. Perfect. This All right, is let's the... see how. <laughs> this is the rave to Jay <laughs> that was uh, created from Rise Against and Reliant K here. Which song are we listening to? <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Hey. 
This just sounds like Rise Against. <laughs> It had to slow down Ryan K. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it gets off. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that whole thing. They do the little breakdown. But look, from that beginning little bit, you couldn't really tell much. No, of that yeah. blended perfectly. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard a rave DJ line up quite that well. Yeah, yeah, you guys like when you guys it's, discovered Rave DJ, oh, I, I can now say this I, I can now say this to your faces. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys discovered Rave DJ like years ago, I tried bringing it to our podcast right away, and I made dozens and dozens and dozens of Rave DJs that never saw the light of day because they all came out garbage. I was like, how? I even did the thing that you guys did early where you went to like Toonbat and you like looked for similar keys. None of those ever worked. That, and then I only finally started hitting on things when I like mixed. Uh, a Reliant K song with the Cha Cha Slide, or with I'm yeah, Too Sexy. Yeah, the, it's so funny when something so random works so well. Right. Cha Cha Slide. I had to like completely think outside the box until he it works. He just likes making the most chaotic ones possible. Really. Well, the Cha Cha Slide one works amazingly. It really does. It's a uh, it's a uh, one I'm waiting for with Cha Cha Slide, and it works out so amazingly because there's this moment where the Cha Cha Slide goes do 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 and it just it matches up perfectly to this like the, the, this percussion in the Reliant K song. The, the 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 algorithm found those similar matching percussions and put them together, and it was perfect. I love it. It learned. Uh, well, thank you guys. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, do you want to plug? You know, I I barely talked at the beginning about what exactly you guys do. You talk about every Jimmy Eat World song, but please plug yourselves. Tell everyone why they should go listen to Jimmy Eat Pod. Um, yeah, I guess if you're into Sadie Hawkins pod and also like Jimmy Eat World, I you know, we're doing something similar over there and uh we're hundred and sixty two or three episodes, depending on when this comes out. But uh we have a grip of back catalog and uh you can just go to our discography page and we organize all the songs by record release. So you you could just pick and choose and you'll only miss like some overarching inside jokes, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good way to start. Yeah. Well Great. said. Well, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think we did accomplish something here. I'm not exactly sure what it was. I know emo isn't real, but uh, yeah. Especially thank you for coming on before we did the rest of the episode because if if we had done this part second, I would have had to sit and argue with Danny about <laughs> like what culturally emo is. So now now he's just he's worked his way past that. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. All right. It's it's just not real. It's just not there. It's it's like it's like people who say that the earth is round. It's like please, no, we all know that's not true. <laughs> oh my god. So this is not to plug this semi-viral video that I have on YouTube right now, but uh, Justin, I don't even think I told you there are now I was people joking. on the comments section of oh, this video. God, you oh. did share it with me. Comment. Did I did I share you with you the new argument where there are people who are saying the sun's color changed and this is proof. What? The sun Man, was yellow it, and is now white and no one's talking about it. And I was like, wait, oh this is god, on your what comments. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah, because I, I basically I found a video from 1988 of somebody driving from Culver City to Van Nuys in one take. And so I was like, great, I'm going to do the same drive, sync up the videos and put them on YouTube. Now it has a half a million views and the comments are 
wild <laughs> and they're all over the place and most of the the new one is that apparently there's a subset of conspiracy theorists that swear that the color of the sun has changed and that my video is now proof if, if, if they're not familiar with color temperature on cameras <laughs> no or like smog right. in the 80s versus now and like that guy was driving at 6 p.m and i'm driving at noon like it's none of that apparently matters wow they just want to incite a riot man yeah all right well anyway thank you oh yeah uh, last thing last thing for, for for real what would you consider do you like this song better the same or less than before you did this episode that's our grading scale now you kind of have to imagine because you never really heard it before because we've heard every reliant k song so we're like after talking about it do we like the song less the same or more than before we did the episode okay all right i can do i can do this so with with this song, Anchorage, I listened to it a couple of times today, earlier. After our conversation, I believe that I my mind was opened up much more to it, having forgotten <laughs> about it because it was, what, like an hour or two ago that I listened to it. Listening to it together here, I definitely saw that the, the emo bits and pieces that went into it, all 22 seconds of it, I would say nice. that I like it more. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I like it about the same as I did before I went in, um, but I am interested to listen to the first three. The first years. three what gears. What is it called? Um, yeah. Th- yeah, first three gears, um, specifically because of this song, which is probably uh, no one has ever said. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, you got it. <laughs>